those of you in person today, it's good to see most of your faces. Uh, great to have all of you online today. Thank you for joining us and for participating with us this morning. My heart, this morning when I woke up, I was just so full of gratitude for a number of things. Most of all for God, just God's goodness, God's faithfulness to us. I was also, I woke up with gratitude in my heart for our tech crew, and I'm very grateful for them all the time. Just some weekends more grateful than others. Last night we had a worship service and some technology just wasn't working. So everything our tech crew does every week, some of the things you, you have no clue how much troubleshooting they do and buttons they have to push and how many new things they've had to learn over the last year to year and a half. So for all of you serving in the Crow's Nest today, we thank you for, for everything you do. In the last few months in this church, we've had four baptisms. Or we've had a number of baptisms. Four of them have come from people who have who had never been to an in-person worship service, but they had joined us online. And that's how they heard about God, received an invitation of God, and were baptized into Christ. So for the work that our tech crew does, it goes far beyond just what happens inside of this room. I also woke up with gratitude in my heart because for the first time in 18 months, our children's ministry today were able to have a fully operational Bible class hour. And there have been children's ministry activities. Yeah, we can put our hands together for that. There have been activities for a year and a half, but for the first time, we were fully operational. And uh, not just the fact that we were fully operational, but for the number of you who, uh, who said yes to invitations to volunteer and, and teaching roles and just to see classrooms that were fully staffed. And then I saw a list of all the people who were teaching in the class and I thought, I want to go and sit in under the teaching of so many of these people. I mean, for Brenda to see you in there and, and Casey and, and just a number of you, I was just so excited to, to, to hear sounds up and down our hallway. So just uh, my heart was just full of gratitude. A little over a year ago, we launched eight core values in our church. We launched a new vision, which is based around the word awakening. We want to awaken people to the greatness of Jesus, and we launched eight core values. And these values are a way that we feel like this is what it means to be a holistic disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to, to try to live into God's heart. So all, as you look at all eight of these, we anticipate the movement of God. We believe God is on the move and that God is active. We are asking for great things of God when we get together and we worship and when we live our lives. That we boldly raise up discipleship as the mission of the church. That the mission of the church and the call of God is not for converts, it's for disciples. That you were converted into a movement and we take this seriously. That we're passionate about connecting people to God. This is a value about evangelism and wanting to connect and reach people who are far from God. Whether it's that they have never given faith a shot, they've never made a decision for Jesus. Maybe they are dealing with church hurt and church wounds. Just people who are far from God and far from faith. We're asking for us to be filled with a passion to connect with them and for them. We genuinely care about physical and mental health. That we care about the whole body being made right before God. That we willingly stand with the marginalized, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the stranger. That we are honored to carry a ministry of reconciliation. That we believe that in and through Jesus, God is reconciling the entire world to himself. And we have a part to play in that story. That we strive to give the next generation a compelling story to live into. Because we live in a time where the best narrative wins. And we have to make sure that not only are we speaking, we are modeling a narrative for the next generation. That makes them and invites them to, into a life to take Jesus seriously in everything they do. And lastly, we are a restoration movement. We, we believe that God's not in the business of just trying to preserve the church or preserve the world, that God is restoring the world, and we have a part to play in that. 
And you see those eight core values, and I know there are other values we could come up with, but we believe these are values that are close to the heart of God. This is what we want to try to live into. Now, here's the thing. You can look at websites of churches all over Shelby County, and you could find churches who have core values, and you could find churches who have compelling vision statements, much like ours, maybe better than ours. You could find churches who have great mission statements. Ours is helping people see Jesus. And you could find many churches who have mission statements, vision statements, belief statements on their websites. Uh, and, and here's the thing, that we are not called by God to be a church with the most compelling vision in all of Memphis. And we're not called by God to be the greatest expression of the kingdom of God in all of Shelby County. We are called by God to be a faithful witness to God right here where we meet and how we choose to go about trying to be a local church. Which means that for all those other churches who are expressions of the kingdom of God, we root for them today, we cheer for them, we want them to thrive. If there is a church holding up the name of Jesus today, there's nothing bad I want to happen to them. I want them to grow. I want them to reach people for Jesus in their communities. So for Highland and White Station and Oliver Creek and Bellevue, and the list could go on, New Directions, we want these churches to thrive with God, and we want to be the, the most faithful expression of the kingdom that we can be here and now. I'm excited about the journey we're on starting last week all the way through November. We're talking about this. It's a series called Why Jesus in the Book of Matthew. And this is a question that I hope you were prepared in your life to articulate right now. That if someone were to ask you, a friend were to ask you, or, or your child or a grandchild were to say, why Jesus in your life, that you were prepared to articulate this. And for some people, when they ask why Jesus is in your life, they may be looking for a conversion. They may be looking for your testimony of how you surrendered your life to Jesus. There may be people who are wondering, like, why do you choose Jesus today in your life? What is keeping you connected to Jesus? I just want you to be prepared and equipped to articulate this in your life. We're walking through the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to open your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9. As you go there, I've told you, I told you last week, I'm going to lay in front of you three things every week from now through Thanksgiving. So every passage, every story we look at in the Gospel of Matthew, there are going to be three things I do. And right now, I'm going to give them to you at the beginning of this teaching. And then we're going to, this is going to lead us into time around the table here in just a little while. And every week, I'm going to lay in front of you a truth. So as we engage a story in the Bible, a story in the Gospel of Matthew, what does it say about Jesus? I'm going to give you a grace. How is this helping to connect you to God? There needs to be a personal connection that you have. And then a reach. This is a challenge. Like, how does this call you to, like, live beyond yourself? How does this call you to reach into your community and your sphere of influence this week to make a difference in the name of Jesus? So here they are today. Here they are. Here's the truth. Jesus is for everyone, not just some people. Here's the grace. That when we respond to the invitation of Jesus, it changes everything. Not just Sunday morning routines. It changes everything. And here's the reach. It's for you to ask, who needs to be at my table? Or for us as a church to ask, who needs to be at our table? So there you go. This is what I'm talking about today. Jesus is for everyone. When we respond to the invitation of Jesus, everything changes. Not just Sunday morning routine. And who needs to be at our table? Where does hospitality need to be extended? I want to start in Matthew chapter 9 today. I just want to talk about five verses. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, here's what you read. It says this. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. 
Now, there is this moment in here where Matthew is sitting at a booth, and Jesus says, follow me, and Matthew stands up to follow Jesus. And I don't mean this in a mean-spirited way or as an indictment, but there are churches all over the world where there are people in those churches who have been sitting down, hearing something from Jesus, but have yet to stand up and to actively follow Jesus. And there's something about Matthew, just in this one verse, he had been sitting down, he receives a word from God, and he doesn't remain seated. There are times we need to sit down and receive, there are times we need to sit down and receive grace and salvation from God, but there's a call from God to stand up and move, like there is a life to be lived. Now Jesus doesn't just call anybody right now. Matthew wasn't in training to become a priest or a rabbi or a church leader. Matthew was a tax collector. These were some of the most despised people in the entire community. To be a tax collector in those days meant you worked, most likely worked for the Roman Empire, so you owed money to them because most likely they were handing out bids to do these jobs. You got the bid, and now when it came to you collecting taxes... A lot of times it wasn't the tax collectors were thieves. It's just that they were dishonest. Because you had to walk down a road to get somewhere, and there was a tax booth what was there, and they could charge whatever they wanted because you needed that road to get where it is you were trying to go. So maybe they were supposed to charge a nickel, but they charged a dime. So they were known as dishonest. They, they did not have a good reputation. And if you were a tax collector like Matthew, who was a Jew, when you stepped into synagogue, when you went to church, most people probably didn't, like, they didn't want to sit by you. When people pass you in the marketplace, they probably didn't want to ask you to go hang out and go to dinner. Like, you, your reputation in the town was as somebody who, who social, their social uh, connections were almost lost. I mean, they, they just did not have a good reputation. And now Jesus calls Matthew, sitting at a tax booth. And when you read the Gospels, it's like Jesus had an affinity. He had a likeness for tax collectors. This isn't the only time he engages one. It's not the only time he calls them into relationship. Now, Matthew wasn't just a tax collector. He was a tax collector in a town called Capernaum. This was a small little town, two, 3,000 people, a rural community, but I don't want you to think uh, backwoods because they're in this little town of Capernaum. And if you live in a town of two to 3,000 people, everybody knows everybody, right? So if you're a tax collector in a little town like Capernaum of two to 3,000 people, everybody knew what profession you had. There's a chance you had not cheated, but you were dishonest with a lot of people around there. So your wealth was based on their loss. And I don't want you to think backwoods because the roads that went through Capernaum, there was an international trade route. So the roads brought people from nations and countries all over the place. And I think this is significant because Jesus wants people at the crossroads of life where they have a chance to witness to the nations. I think Jesus is interested in individuals. Jesus is also interested in major kingdom impact. Jesus wanted Matthew for heaven. Jesus also knew that if he could transform tax collectors into having kingdom hearts, that they would have a chance to witness to the nations because of where they were and where they sat and who they got to engage with. So in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 2, Mark tells you a number of, of tax collectors had started to follow Jesus. 
And here's Matthew in this little town of Capernaum in the crossroads of life, and Jesus is going to call him to follow him. Now, I realize in the life of this church, and my heart was full of gratitude and prayer this morning over this, that we have people in this church who are in the crossroads of life every single week. You name a profession, there's a good chance it's represented in the life of this church. Educators, bankers, attorneys, people in the restaurant industry. I mean, the list could go, uh, health profession. We have people all over the place who have a chance every week to connect with people who are, who are moving through the crossroads of life. What a gift. What an opportunity for us. And for Matthew to hear Jesus say, follow me. Now, most people believe that years ago, you'd become a rabbi around the age of 30. Jesus was 30 years old when he entered into public ministry. Rabbis would often call some disciples. Sometimes it would be a half dozen, maybe around a dozen, would call them to come and follow them, to imitate them, to watch them, to do what they did. And it was around the age of 30 that Jesus calls 12 apostles. And rabbis were some of the most well-respected people in those times. So if a rabbi looked at you in your eye and asked you or told you to come and follow them, this was a great honor, this was a privilege, that one of the most well-respected people in the community would say, I, I believe you have what it takes to come and follow me. And to think, when it came to Jesus calling people to follow him, he invited tax collectors, he invited fishermen, he invited a zealot. So he's not inviting people who have been in like religious community preparing to be church leaders. He's inviting these people who are scattered out in all these other professions to come and follow him. So if Jesus is willing to call a tax collector, what makes you think, Jesus isn't willing to call you to, especially to those of you who are struggling with shame or guilt or a sense of worth or, or unworth, being unworthy, that if Jesus is willing to call Matthew, why would Jesus not call you to? That you are never too far from the invitation of God. You're never too far from the invitation to come into relationship with Jesus, and you're never too far from the invitation of God to live a life that has major impact everywhere you go. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, one of the reasons I think this is so significant is if this one verse doesn't happen, we don't have the gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew's testimony wrapped up in one verse. This is it. If this doesn't happen, this one verse, this moment, this interaction with Jesus, if this doesn't happen... You don't have the gospel, the New Testament book that is quoted by the early church more than any other book. If this moment right here doesn't happen, we don't have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And Matthew, when it comes to sharing his testimony, he doesn't do it in autobiographical form. So it's not that Jesus did this for me or here's where I was and here's where I am now. Matthew keeps the focus on Jesus. Jesus is the one who transforms a life. And in Matthew 9, 9, Matthew chooses to follow Jesus. So then the next statement is like, okay, then what's Matthew going to do? Let me remind you, Jesus is for everyone. To respond to the invitation of Jesus changes everything. And what this story is going to ask of us is who is at your table? Who is at our table? Uh, last Saturday, Casey's uh, grandmother passed away, Melba Burr. Uh, Casey and her family, they call her Mimi. And at the funeral, there were a lot of stories that were, that were shared. We traveled all the way out to Amarillo for uh, this celebration. 
And Mimi was a woman that God caught hold of her heart at a very young age. And the impact on generations. It's just been, I mean, it's going to go on for, for years. In that room were people who had been Melba's friend. And then just in the family section alone were people who at some point in their life, some of them had been social misfits. They had been rebels. Some of them had been far from God. Casey's dad grew up without a dad, has no clue who his dad is, a mother who was often absent and gone. And it was Melba who took so many of these people under her wings to live out what I'm teaching you today, that Jesus is for everybody. That to respond to the invitation of Jesus changes everything in your life. And that Jesus and people who follow Jesus have an open, open table for everyone. So in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 through 13, here's what happens. Because often conversions, they lead to something. And, and in Matthew's case, in chapter 9, there's a social revolution. And in chapter 10 through 13, here's what it says. In Matthew 9, 10 through 13. If you go to that, there we go. Thanks, Jen, so much. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and they ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not healthy, or it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's three things I want you to see in just those four verses. There's a party, there's a banquet. There's a question, which I think is a good question. And there's a response of Jesus. There's a party and a banquet because Jesus is known to make parties really good. He makes banquets better. Jesus either threw the best parties or made them better when he stepped in. And something Jesus would do at banquets like this is Jesus wanted to love people in their sin and he wanted to love people out of their sin. Jesus didn't just love people in their sin. He wanted to love people out of their sin. Again, I don't mean this in a mean-spirited way. I don't mean this as an indictment. But I think churches are full of people all over the world who want to be loved in their sin, but they don't want to be loved out of their sin. Jesus invited people in a way where Jesus wanted them to, them to know they belong in his presence. He wanted to be in their presence. And, and then he wanted them to believe in deeper ways. He was looking for life change. So there's a banquet in which Jesus is going to reveal who Jesus is. And in that space, there are Pharisees. And this is the first time in the public ministry of Jesus, the Pharisees talk. And they ask a question. And it's a really good question. And what they ask is, how can somebody who is as righteous as him be with people who are outsiders and sinners like them? What the Pharisees are asking is this. How can a life committed to righteousness also have friends like that? How can a life that is set on being holy before God hang out in that kind of way with a bunch of sinners? Now, the way this often goes in churches and just with people is that you have a, your face set on righteousness and holiness, yet you don't have any friends with those who are outside the community of faith. Or you have a lot of friends with people outside of the community of faith and you don't have a heart that is set on holiness and righteousness. And only in Jesus can we walk this road of pursuing holiness, of wanting to live a righteous life before God, and deeply caring about people who are far from God. 
Only in Jesus can we do this. And Jesus responds to the question by saying, and this becomes a mission statement for Jesus, that he lives out throughout the rest of his life, that he handed on to the church. This right here is quoted by early church fathers for over 200 years after Jesus. This right here, like this seemed to be a moment in a story that deeply formed the church. That they see how Jesus interacted with people, they see the reputation Jesus had, and they took this seriously for hundreds of years. This is what they did. And what Jesus says is, I didn't come, I didn't come for those who have it all together, I came to put people together. Like, I didn't come for all the healthy people, I came for the sick. And part of this is an indictment, I think in Jesus saying, he wanted some people to hear that sometimes the sickest people in the world are those who think they aren't sick. They refuse to see how sick they really are. And then Jesus quotes a verse that almost everyone who was in his presence, they would have known, it may have been hanging up in their houses, they heard it in synagogue when they would go to church, and Jesus says, learn what this means. Don't just repeat this, don't just recite it, don't just memorize it or teach it to your kids. Learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This wasn't Jesus saying the sacrifices don't matter anymore and that they're not necessary. This is Jesus' way of elevating mercy. It was Jesus' way of elevating how merciful the heart of God is. Jesus is for everyone. When we respond to the invitation of Jesus, everything changes, not just Sunday morning routine. And who is at your table? A little over a decade ago, I, I was uh, able to hear a guy speak. His name's Tony. He's a preacher, speaker, traveled all over the place. And he was telling a story about one time he had an invitation to speak in Hawaii for any preacher. We, we're all waiting for the invitation to speak at churches in Hawaii. And if you get that call, it's always a yes. Like, God wants me to do this. He received an invitation to speak at this event in Hawaii, so he, he flew to Hawaii. When he got there, he was suffering from jet lag, so that night he couldn't go to sleep. He was wide awake. He couldn't find any restaurant, a cafe, a coffee shop. He couldn't find anything that was open. Finally, at 3 a.m., he found one place not too far from the hotel that was open. He walked in. He was the only person in there. It was him and the guy behind the counter, and he ordered a donut and a coffee. And Tony sat there with his donut and his coffee, and then a few minutes after he was, he was sitting down, there were a group of about eight women who came in. These were women who had jobs that they worked in the night. They were prostitutes, and they sit on both sides of him. And they're all having conversations, and he's right there in the middle of it, and he's not really talking. He's just overhearing these conversations, and, and there was a woman on his right. Her name was Agnes. And Agnes just kind of out of nowhere said, hey, you know, I don't know if you all knew this, but my birthday is tomorrow. And then a woman on his left said, well, Agnes, what do you want us to do? You want us to make a birthday cake? And Agnes, not really looking for pity, she just said, tomorrow I turn 39 years old and I've never had a birthday cake in my entire life. And a few minutes later, the women got up and they left. And Tony talked to the owner, the guy who was behind the counter, and said, did those women come in here every morning? And the guy said, every morning at 3 a.m., they're in this place. And Tony said, what if we do this tomorrow? What if tomorrow at 3 a.m. we're going to have this whole place ready and we're going to throw a surprise party for Agnes? And the owner, who has a wife who was in the back, she was a head chef, came out and she said, great idea, I'll make Agnes's cake. 
So Tony went to the store and bought streamers and balloons. They had a poster board with Happy Birthday Agnes, and they were able to get out an invitation to some of her friends, who all of them worked in the same profession. And by about 2.45 a.m., this place was full of people, mostly women. And then in came Agnes, and when Agnes walked in, everyone yelled, Happy Birthday, Agnes! It was a surprise party. And Agnes just fell down on her knees, and she wept. And they handed her a cake, and they handed her a knife to cut her first ever birthday cake. And she said, are you all okay if I don't cut my cake right now? I just want to look at it. And she said, in fact, do you mind if I leave my party for just a minute? I want to take my cake. My mom lives two blocks from here. I just want to take the cake. I want to go down. I want my mom to see it, and then I'll come back. So Agnes leaves with her cake. And everybody was silent, and Tony didn't know what to do. So Tony just said... Let's all gather up and let's pray. And there in a room in a store full of prostitutes, Tony began to pray. Because he was fully aware of the brokenness and the trauma that was held in the lives of people in that room. When he finished praying, the owner said, you, for 24 hours, you've, you never told me that you're a preacher. And the guy said, what kind of church do you preach at? And Tony said, I preach at a church at those parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the morning because maybe Jesus would do that sometimes. And the owner said, I didn't know those churches existed, but if they do, maybe I'd want to be a part of one. Jesus is for everyone, not just some people. When we respond to the invitation of Jesus... Everything changes. It's for everyone. And who is at your table? Because to take seriously the way Jesus lived, there will be people at our table who are not like-minded as we are, or like-mannered, or look the same, or smell the same, or incomes are close to the same. Who's at our table? Our friend Kim Chapman sent me a picture a few weeks ago, and I did not ask permission to share this. I'm just, I'm just doing it. We, have, uh, uh, we had a, a few months ago, there were people in our church who just had a heart for the homeless community just down the street from here. I mean, just barely a mile from this campus. It's a very large homeless community as you get closer to Interstate 40. And I know the men in this picture, I think a couple of them are in the room right now, they, they're, they, they don't want their pictures shown when they were praying over this man they weren't thinking that they're doing this for show or for a picture or for Josh using a sermon. In fact, I'm pretty sure the men in this picture, when they were praying, they would tell you right now that they, they received more of a blessing in this moment and in this encounter than what uh, that they were able to give, that they experienced God there more than they felt like they were able to take God there. But there's something about this image of them praying over one of our homeless friends, one of our homeless neighbors just down the road that helped me see that in the crossroads of life there are kingdom connections happening every moment, every day. And these opportunities are going to be in front of you all throughout the week. And there are going to be moments for you to be hospitable. And I don't mean that you're going to set up a table with four legs, but moments when you get to be hospitable and how we set up a table and how we invite people into dignity, into character, into Jesus, into life. And as these moments present themselves throughout the week, may we be faithful, courageous, take a risk, 
and know Jesus is for everyone. When we respond to this invitation, everything in our lives change. And who's at your table? Who needs to be at your table? And as we reflect on those three questions, Jen, if you'll throw those three questions or those three statements up on the screen, we're going to let these guide us into the time around the table today. So I want to invite you to take the bread and the cup in your hand. For those of you online with us, if you have the bread and the cup, if you'll take those. If not, just sit in this moment with us for a few minutes. For every Sunday, we take the bread and the cup, and we are reminded of everything Jesus has done for us. A death on the cross, rose from the dead, lived a perfect life, and modeled what life in the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. And when we come around the table, we reflect on all Jesus has done for us, and it's also a time where we commit to being the kind of people Jesus wants us to be in the world. And this is a table where Jesus doesn't just invite some people. He invites all people. And we thank God today for that invitation. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's give thanks. And we give thanks, God, for everything you have done and everything you have accomplished in Jesus. The fact that you would invite us, the fact you would invite me to a table, may we never take it for granted. In this moment, as we take the bread and the cup, may we reflect on you and may we also think about how this calls us to be your people this week. And God, for opportunities you lay in front of us this week to be the extension of grace and mercy in the world. May we be faithful to it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please take the bread, take the cup, and take a minute or two just to reflect on what Jesus has done for you.